For July 7th, 2014, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 314, One Mountain Closer to Climbing Every Mountain. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, I'm Matt Rather, no longer brunching, alas. And I'm here with Pete Fenzel for one of our famous two-handers. Hey, Pete, how you doing? I'm, I'm full. I'm totally <laughs> full. I have not eaten all week since we had brunch together last, last yeah. Sunday. I'm like a snake. I spent, I'm just, I've got a giant eggs Benedict in my stomach that I'm just <laughs> eating on gradually over the course of days. You can see the three lumps where the three eggs are as they gradually slide down like a, like a constrictor, you know? Yes, that, exactly. Right? That's, that's a constrictor, right? They, they strangle you and then they swallow you whole? Uh, something about a lawyer or an accountant or my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yes, that's a constrictor. <laughs> that's what a constrictor does. Got it. Yeah. Um, I uh, well, it's it's you know I can without um, getting too sentimental or too inside baseball or too self indulgent. I'd like to say uh, that Pete, I enjoy and look forward to these opportunities that you and I have to do a two hander podcast. Uh, that's you know it's a it's a lot of fun for me and a pleasure to talk to you. So I'm I'm looking forward. Uh, to this. I'm, I'm just saying my expectations are very, very high. Well, that's all right, Matt, because I'm used to the consequences of disappointment. So, no, 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 no. No, I look forward to them, too, and this is going to be a good one. I remember our, our Instagram podcast, which is one of my favorite recording experiences, because in order to get Wi-Fi, I did it from the lobby of a hotel I wasn't staying at in New Jersey. Right, I just sort of like looked cash, like look casual, and just they won't question that you're recording a podcast uh, next to their uh, empty bar at three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh huh. Yeah, no, it was a fun one, definitely. No, we do good ones. I like we talk a little bit about culture. We get a little bit, a little more into things that maybe uh, some of the other podcasters maybe aren't so into, kind of niche interests or niche niche gear grinders or whatnot. Stuff that we do, yeah, it's true that that you and I have a have a, a certain overlap in interests that other other people don't have. Um, I know that one of those interests that you and I have that uh, that several of the other podcasters don't have uh, is not having tattoos. That's an oh, interest yeah. that we have. We're interested in not having that. Though, actually, I can't think of a whole um, – I can't think of uh, any overthinker that uh, that has a tattoo, um, at least the ones that I know well, the ones that I've seen in bathing suits over the summer, you know? Yeah, that's actually really interesting because I get the sense that tattoos have gotten a lot more popular. Well, I mean, you just look around anywhere you go and you can see yeah. that tattoos have, have gotten a lot more popular. I mean, showing a lot of skin has gotten a lot more popular, uh, I guess, and as well as, as, well as tattoos. Um, Is, was, are you showing more or less skin when you're amply tattooed? That's oh, like I, an interesting philosophical question, right? I guess so. Uh, I guess so. Um, it's interesting. I mean, you're showing skin, but I guess the skin is somehow less nude by putting ink on top of it. I mean, that's that's interesting. If you're, I mean, if you have like a full, there's probably a name for this, a, a full shirt. Maybe is that a thing? <laughs> like or, something that has sleeves is a shirt tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. You have two sleeves, and then your chest and your back are covered. I mean, yeah. and you go around without. 
Uh, get the full Oxford is what it's called. Where <laughs> <laughs> you get buttons on right, the top. Exactly. You get buttons tattooed on your collarbones. Yeah. Um, when, uh, right when you, you do that, if you go around without a cloth shirt on, without like a clothing-based, <laughs> without a textile-based shirt, um, are you less nude somehow than, than I would be without uh, any tattoos whatsoever if I went around without a, a cloth shirt on? Mm-hmm. Um, or are you just as nude? You've, you've, just decorated, you've just decorated your nudity. Um, yeah. It's like the, the idea is which, is which is a more notable component of nakedness, right? You know, the body, the body in space or the representational notion of nakedness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I, I would I would lean towards the latter just because of all the body paint issues of Sports Illustrated that I got when I was a teenager. Uh-huh. <laughs> the like this this sort of one of the ways to sort of tantalize right with uh, in the sort of hard PG thirteen realm of exploitative sport magazine nakedness is to have people who are body painted but are still effectively naked. So that by changing the uh the, the color or the representation that's being afforded by the body, then you're also uh you're changing its level of scandalousness. Right. So uh in that sense the nakedness is the nakedness is less. Right. I suppose. You're less naked. I mean, it's interesting to think of that as sort of a continuum, right? That the uh, uh, that nakedness is a continuum rather than sort of a binary. Um, you are or you aren't. Mm. But uh, or whether it's like a quality of meat or a quality of ideas. So let's. Uh, Let's. Anyway, this is our body episode, people. We're going to talk about the culture of bodies and the culture of bodies in, uh, as we look at them and as we put them in motion. That's the loose theme that we have going into this episode. I guess we do so. have a question of the week, though. We haven't totally thrown out the uh, the usual structure with the bathwater, well, although the- that bathwater was pretty rancid. After sitting there in the Beggs Benedict for th- for a week. <laughs> oh God, that's really. I I once had a chef friend of mine. Uh, encouraged me never to order the eggs benedict because the uh what he said was that eggs benedict is is sort of the or that hollandaise sauce is the perfect medium for uh bacterial growth that you could not Hmm. find a better place to culture uh to culture bacteria than hollandaise sauce and um it may not be held at the 140 degree temperature you know or whatever it needs to be in order to, uh, uh, you know, in order to kill all the bad, the bad things that might be in it. Um, so, well, I mean, we've, we've started, we don't have tattoos. I'm sort of not into them, you know, my, my, for myself, I've seen some, some beautiful ones. Uh, but, but here's a question for you. Here's a question of the week for you. If, um, if someone you know, put a gun to your head and said, you must, you must get a tattoo of any size, anywhere on your body of anything you like. Uh, but it must be, it must be permanent. You know, it must be a a tattoo that you have forever and ever. What, um, what tattoo would you get? I mean, if, if the question were really put to you like that, I suppose it's not a question if put like that, if the issue were forced in that, in that particular way. Um, I don't know what I, I have trouble thinking about it. What, what, what would you do? 
I mean, I have a couple of reactions to the question. One is just how... Do any of them rise to the level of answer, or is it... Do any of does anything really rise to the level of answer, Matt? Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I guess some things do. Uh, so okay. So when I've I've thought about this a lot over the years, as I've seen tattoos get more popular, but even when they were less popular, as I as I thought of them as a mode of cultural expression, it seemed like something that I might potentially want to get involved in. Certainly felt a little bit of the FOMO, as the kids say these days, a little bit of the fear of missing out. That by not getting a tattoo, I was somehow missing something, and also in the quest to individuate, you know, how can you differentiate yourself from the people around you? How can you differentiate yourself from your childhood idea of yourself, from your family? We all go through phases, uh, adolescence, 20s, 30s, 40s, which where people spend their time and energy doing these things. And tattoos are very bound up uh, culturally in these moments, even though I think that more and more of the use of it today is less and less bound up in these ideas of individuation, and it seems to be more commonplace and less kind of an act of personal rebellion. Um, but I, So one of the ones that I always considered is I always considered getting the, something from the Aeneid tattooed on me. Um, and this is the thing. Like, I this is well before I, it was common to see people with just text tattoos, which is again a phenomenon that I've seen get more popular over recent years. People just getting words, just like blocks of text tattooed on themselves, either in calligraphy or in cursive or just in print, right? Like, uh, I know. Well, a couple I mean, years- one that I've seen is like uh, this is a reproduction of John Keats' handwriting or something like that, right? Oh yeah, no. I mean, I've seen, I've seen totally. I've seen lots of them over the over the years. I mean, I don't read a lot of them because they're kind of far away. I don't like sneak up on people in the subway and I'm like, excuse me, I want to read your underarm. Can I get a closer look at that? But like a lot of the times, I think a popular place for them is like women get them on kind of like their latissimus dorsal area, right? Like, um, and so you see them like under tank tops. Um, one, I, I saw one girl in the subway once who had a tattoo that said made in Taiwan on the back of her shoulder that I thought was very clever. Uh, and it was sort of printed in that sort of factory font. But that was again years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that I might get like Arma where I'm Quake Kanoa on my arm, right? Uh Like the first three words of the Aeneid. You know, I sing of arms and the man. Uh, (laughs) Because it's on your arm. Because it's on my arm. Because I have a sense of whimsy. Um, But it wouldn't really be worth explaining to people. And it also, I didn't necessarily think it would look good. I mean, one of the, a lot of the, um, and you said the John Keats' original handwriting. I think that raises an important part, point about textual tattoos and their interaction with the body. It's a concrete poem. It's about the look and feel of the words, right? Like the physical object of the words in space. Right. I mean, would you say that? Would you say that the textual tattoo qualifies as a concrete poem? That's an interesting thing. I mean, we should unpack what a what a concrete poem is. You want to explain that one to people who might not have read "Rhymes Reason" by John Hollander, a book, <laughs> yeah, that we, yeah, that we both heartily recommend to you. I mean, a concrete poem. A poem that is in a given shape, right? It can be anything from a poem about a tree that's in the shape of a tree to one of the famous examples in one of my, you know, poetry encyclopedia books, which is like words, you know, carved, I say in scare quotes, you know, wiped in damp concrete with a finger and the concrete hardens and the words and the concrete are part of the message. It, it's about the words taking shape, right? Yeah, so, I mean, so, so the, the interesting thing, the thing, the one that, that Pete is talking about, 
um, is by John Hollander, uh, and the words are, texture becomes text. And uh, in Rhymes Reason, there's a photograph of this slab of concrete that has, uh, that has the words, you know, finger painted into it, texture, texture becomes text. And, um, and uh, professor, the late Professor Hollander uh, writes in Rhymes Reason, uh, the poem is rather than is inscribed upon the mm. concrete block, right? That, that the poem actually is the arrangement rather than, rather than the arrangement being incidental to the poem and the poem being something notional, uh, notionally separate from the actual, from the actual instance of, of the poem, right? So it's a way, it's a big middle finger to Plato, right? Is what concrete poetry mm. is at a certain level, right? Rather than, rather than being a, a sort of, um, numinous or, uh, conceptual or notional poem um and there there could be like varied realizations of the poem uh the poem is is the realization it's coextensive with with its own uh realization yeah when although it is i think wishful thinking to say that just because you've used a novel medium for in that case the poem i can see how the texture of the poem in terms of the semantic content of the letters and words, and then the the slab that it's on, that's all one of a piece, sure. But it might be wishful thinking to think that that all poems that take a shape or that uh, are in an exotic medium are then therefore uh, not transcribed in, uh, at least, or that they cannot be seen as objects that are transcribed in. So take a hypothetical tattoo, right? Say I hypothetically get a tattoo on my back that says, today we celebrate our Independence Day, okay. right? Which would be probably be a tattoo that I would get. Like, that sounds great, right? Um, and, if, <laughs> um, and if I get it sort of memento style, right? The sort of like, your wife is dead and like giant gothic letters uh, across his chest, right? Or if I get like the giant American eagles and it says, today we, now, you know, without the wings, it just says, today we celebrate our Independence Day and and I get it so that it, when I reach my arms out, you can read it from like elbow to elbow. So it requires me to sort of get into that kind of arms wide open, creed like position in uh-huh. order for people to read it. Like there, that in that sense, okay, the shape of the thing that it's inscribed upon becomes part of the poem as it is, and it's not just an inscription. But if I got the same thing written on my back and I got a picture of Bill Pullman like above it, and I had him with a little radio <laughs> and like a little speech bubble, then it would be inscribed on my back. I right. feel like the presence of my back would become more of a, of a medium for inscription rather than a, a, a medium of poetics. Uh-huh. Uh, as it were, I don't know, but yeah. So, like, so text on the body is interesting because how does it look when it's on you? Does it look like it's something that fits with your body? Do you have the kind of body that uh, goes that like text has that text interacts with in an interesting way? I mean, and if um, you weren't if you weren't spreading your arms wide as though to sing, can you take me higher? <laughs> if you weren't if you weren't doing that, uh, what would it say? Like tower into. Indip- exactly it would be a mad magazine thing where if i like pulled back my shoulders together it would just say smoky and the bandit right and then it would have a picture of burt reynolds um did you ever do the folding things the mad magazine folding thing oh yeah i was a big i was big into mad magazine when i was you know i don't know nine ten something like that yeah so yeah so i mean i thought about getting text or getting text that i really liked but then it's like well 
is when you're getting a tattoo, and again, here we are speaking of, this is worse, this is even worse than us talking about movies that we haven't seen. Because <laughs> talking about tattoos that we haven't gotten, right? Although we have seen a lot of tattoos. But I guess having not gotten tattoos for this long in our lives, and of course living a, a hyper-scrutinized lives, we can talk in great detail about having not gotten tattoos and the thought process that goes behind not getting tattoos. Right. Um, one of those thought processes, I think, is is it is it enough to like a thing, right? Uh, is it enough to like a thing? Or do you have to like the expression of the thing as you are expressing it through your tattoo? Um, do you have to feel like you have to be saying this thing? Like, I find that's the or, idea... Yeah, that, or do you, have, do, you feel, do you feel like you have to be always saying this thing in this particular way yeah. all the time? Yeah, like if I got a tattoo that just said, like, look to your left, you know, would I be, like, causing everybody to look to their left, like, all the time throughout my entire life? It seems exhausting to have a tattoo that that compels a reaction because you can never put it to sleep. Like, eventually I do stop talking, which I know people on the podcast have been waiting for six years for that event to take place. Uh, But it's been a while. But no, no, no. But it's like, it's... um. So I guess what? Do you want it to be unobtrusive? Do you want it to – do you want a tattoo? I guess you could get a tattoo on a part, place in your body that you only reveal at strategic times so that you can sort of unleash or leash the statement of that tattoo at times when it's appropriate or at times where you want to make the statement, right? Like I don't know. You could get one that says like uh, – what like uh, – what's his name? Quaid, start the reactor, and you just get an alien guy on your stomach, and then when you really want to shock people, I guess that's the point of the thug life on your stomach, on your belly, right? Because if you're going around shirtless all the time and it just says thug life, it's like, we know it's thug life. We know you have a thug life. But if it's, it's only when you're shirtless, then you can put a shirt on and like people they can be reminded about thug life. Like uh-huh. periodically, right. and that, I think is there's message fatigue. People do run into message fatigue. This idea that if you keep selling people the same thing over and over again, eventually they're just going to tune it out, and it's not going to matter to them. And you have to switch it up, and you have to figure out new ways of introducing it. Um, well, I mean, that's my. So my answer to the question of the week was like uh, the 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 Aeneid. I guess that would have been what I wanted like years ago. Nowadays, I mean, what I know a lot of people who get. Um, geek culture tattoos, like Nintendo tattoos, or like um, you know things that have to do with other kinds of video games or sci-fi franchises, like Tardises and whatnot. Um, uh, I have a friend who posted a Tardis, Facebook. I mean, what's what? what's the plural of tardies? There's probably like you know a huge. There's probably a huge internet industry devoted to answering this question, and, and we're stepping into a fandom, which is something I try never to do. <laughs> I try right. to do as as uh, rarely as possible on overthinking it. But I mean, is is the plural of Tardis, you know, Tardies or you know, Tardises? I feel like, I feel like the the Doctor Who tattoo fandom is a much even more niche in boutique fandom than the mainstream Doctor Who fandom. Uh, and I think if we speak, but I feel like they might be understanding if we were just sort of to not make eye contact and kind of walk through on our way to our next, our next subject. I don't know. I think, I think that there actually can't, it can't be plural, right? Cause there can only be one TARDIS at a time. Um, Cause if you have two coexisting in space, then you have a paradox. I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm making that up. That's not true. The time vortex doesn't only allows for such things when they're narratively necessary. You, um, you know. You know what else is a paradox? What? Two doctors. Waka waka. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was. I'd like to. Th- I'd like to claim some sort of setup for that because that was that was elegant, Mister Rat. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, but I could never get a, a geek culture tattoo. I, I don't feel like I would want to do that. Um, 
I feel like geek culture is something I experience. I don't feel like it's something that I um, that is in that I that is part of my body. Yeah, you know what I mean. Arma, I mean Arma Wirumque Kano is is sort of interesting to me because it's um, uh, because what is the who is the who is doing the Kano right like. <laughs> That is to say, are you representing a piece of the Aeneid or are you sort of co-opting a piece of the Aeneid and saying that that your song, the song of Peter Fenzel, is arms and, and a man? You know? I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's sort of like I sing the body electric, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Walt Whitmanizing Virgil. Sure. Yeah. And I, yeah. I know you are a fan of 24, so singing yes. the body electric, I guess, is... is uh, <laughs> Is something that you're into, you hey, and Matt. Ryan. Hey Matt, hey Matt, where's the bomb? Where's the bomb? <laughs> <laughs> what tattoo would you get, though? I, want, I mean, we can go back and forth on this, but I want you to. I want you to weigh in if someone what? had a gun to your head. Yeah. Oh, I could also get a tattoo. I can have them hold up a mirror and get a tattoo of the gun pointing back at them, right? The exactly in the place where they held the gun up to me, right? Um, but anyway, in sort of in perspective. I mean, it would be interesting yeah. if you could do a holographic tattoo. I was thinking yeah. because this is the sort of thing that I think about. Um, given a too much leisure time. I was thinking about uh, a suit of like uh, projector clothes, holographic clothes, clothes that could generate three-dimensional images. And that could, uh, that could gauge the level of dress of the people around you and automatically adjust to match it, right? So that if you were at a, at a, you know, fancy dress party, you could be in white tie and tails. Uh, but if you were walking along the beach or at the gym or whatever, that it would appear to everyone that you were wearing, you know, polyester shorts and a, and a shirt with a, uh, with an aggressive slogan on it or something like that, right? Like I, w- I was thinking like, and then I was thinking, well, what if you're standing on a threshold of a room between two uh you know between a ballroom say and a kitchen or something like that where where people are dressed differently like do you want to be able to display two outfits uh one forward and one back to the people who see you so that you're in a you know so that you can be sort of in two contexts um at once. And then I thought, well, which group would you want to belong to? Would you want everyone to see you in the group that is behind you as they view you or uh, in the group that they that they belong to themselves? And and I spent a little while trying to think of a, of a set of algorithms, of a set of, you know, um, principles by which you could program your holographic clothing to uh, to display the right level of attire, the right formality of attire. Um, as you uh you know as you move um move from space to space um i would you pick the second best dressed person in the room other than yourself as you don't want to be the best dressed person you want to be like a step down but you don't want to underdress yeah exactly i mean i feel like dressing is uh i feel like dressing is a bidding game right like you want to you want to uh well, when you're bidding, you want to make the highest bid, but you want to uh, you want to pay a price based on the second highest bid, right? Like you want to only only edge out the next highest bid enough to win. Um, and I feel like there's a similar there would be a similar thing. There's a similar thing with with dressing, right? Um, with a, with a lot of things, I guess a similar thing, right? You want to be the what? I guess the second fittest person in the room, right? 
If that's if that's your bidding, if that's your bidding strategy for clothes, mine is much more of a price is right strategy, which is just to like go last and say one dollar. And then no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true at all. But uh, but no, I, I think I see what you mean. I think I, you want to you want to surpass, but not by much. And you want to surpass anything that you surpass by above and beyond the act of surpassing is waste. Uh, I can see that because you're not looking to create like a, para, a paragonial experience, and that's not even a word. But uh, a para, you don't want to be a paragon. You want to like set this, set a new standard. You just want to succeed in the current standard, I suppose. But but I mean, it's also it also is worth saying that this all of your clothes would be tailored in the Joel Schumacher style, in that they would all have nipples on them. Right, like like the bat suit in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Um, it's just like, oh, that's a really nice Brooks Brothers suit that you have on. Uh, the, the tailored nipples are a nice touch. Um, I guess you could get those tattooed over as well. So I feel like I feel like I can say a lot more easily what kind of tattoo I would not get than what kind of tattoo I would get. Right, like mm-hmm. I would definitely. Uh, so I would not get something that has to do with an interest or hobby of mine. Mm-hmm. Right, like I would not get a treble clef or a music note or you know the tragedy and comedy masks. Yeah, that, that exactly. wonderful piece of clip art that chases you around. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it chases you around because it's the the logo for all the performers union. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. SAG after just redesigned their logo. And if you want to see an exercise in like corporate rebranding dreck just the 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 worst non-entity non-signifying piece of bs uh that a uh that a you know high priced branding identity system branding agency uh can give you um, go look at the uh, go look at the SAG-AFTRA website. So I'm, I'm looking at this right now. Is it the SAG-AFTRA One Union text banner, or is it the one with like Freddie Mercury on it? It's Freddie Mercury. Okay, I mean it's not Freddie Mercury, but it, it looks like it's supposed to be Freddie Mercury, kind of. It looks right? it's like, like three or four strokes that look kind of like pen strokes, and it looks like I mean it's actually theatrical as opposed to being sort of cinematic or. Or television, television esque, televisual, right? Like it's a uh, someone who who looks like, and it's very male to me. It's not yeah. uh, well because the shoulders are wider than the waist. Yes. Well, I mean that was that's the case with women too as well. But it's like it's definitely it also because it looks like he's wearing a jacket with a tail and he's definitely wearing pants. Exactly, and the, yeah. the, also the contours of the body seem to be seem to me to be male contours that seem to yeah. me to be you know a man's torso as opposed to a woman's yeah. torso, and you know clearly short hair on this um, on this logo, and this is rendered in in you know three or four sort of looking br- brushstroke looking kind of things, and it's someone like just up with their arm as though they're a conductor, right? Like cutting off the orchestra or, you know, I don't know, signaling a very dramatic high point in the music and sort of looking yeah. off, looking off to the side. And I, I looked off to the side as I was saying that, and I realized I was going off mic and that you probably couldn't hear me when I did that. Right. <laughs> like that's not, <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so, uh, but that's like Timothy Dalton summoning a Nazi blimp and the rocketeer, just right. like lifting his arm. <laughs> Dramatically, has anyone made any "all dogs go to heaven" jokes about this? Uh, about yeah, because it, it also kind of looks like a dog with an angel wing and a halo over its head. 
Um, oh, that's an interesting point. I had not. Yeah, I yeah, had yeah. not thought of that, but that's that's definitely true. Anyway, Let's ride that train all the way to meme glory. It's a. <laughs> I mean, it's a. It's a pretty nondescript. It's it's a nondescript logo, though it does uh, uh, avoid the banality of the comedy tragedy masks. It partakes in a in a still worse banality all its own. Um, though in fact not all its own because it's a it's a still worse banality that it shares with a lot of corporate logos right that are that are meant to uh convey you know uh kinesis and aspiration and um and uh, uh bullpucky yeah <laughs> so um right like uh so, like you want to see a union logo, you look at the Teamsters. <laughs> let's let's have a look at the Teamsters logo. Because because uh, one notable thing about the SAG AFTRA logo is that it is a representative of a, of a union. The the figure is one person standing by themselves. Right. It's I, not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It has nothing to do with yeah. solidarity. Wow. So the <laughs> Teamsters the Teamsters uh, like tagline on Google when you Google Teamsters is America's strongest union. Yes, and, and they, they're referring to to lifting things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and their um, logo is a two headed horse. Apparently, it's it's two horses. It looks like two horses yoked, right, to a harness of some kind, and it's got a spoked wheel in the middle. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except the horse, it looks like the horse's manes are part of the yoke, um, sort of, or they're yoked like between their ears, and they're like pulling the the, the harness in like a weird direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's two freaking horses, and one has like they have different weird things going on with their foreheads. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely like they're horses with like their brows furrowed with the uh you know, the moment and weight of the the work that they are being driven to by the Teamster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like how the individual Teamsters chapters have different variations on the horsey logo. I don't think do you think the initial SAG AFTRA chapters will get like this one will have the SAG AFTRA dude but with like a Harley logo behind him like yeah. the one from uh local 639 i could only i could only hope we actually um you know the screen actors guild was a guild without locals um now that the unions are merged uh the there is like notionally a different structure though whether what it adds up to i mean whether it actually adds up to any difference in the you know in the day-to-day experience of it i don't think so but it it uh we have locals so there is a hollywood local now right like so i don't know got it it'll probably be something awful like staggering the letters of sag aftra like the letters of the hollywood sign on you know what i mean up and down yeah. and back and forth on different planes something just terrible like that mm-hmm. um yeah. So uh th- this guy, this this fella is not my tattoo. Right, right, right. <laughs> Nor will you get the Teamsters logo tattooed on you because you are not a Teamster. Yeah, though I but, well, no, I suppose I suppose not. I mean But United, if you were a Teamster, would you consider getting the Teamsters logo? I would. I'm a United Auto Worker though. Oh. Uh because when I was a when I was a grad student instructor, they were the union that represented uh uh, grad student academic employees at the University of California, Los Angeles. So the UCLA. So I'm a UCLA United Auto Worker. Let's see, United Auto Workers. Let's have a look at their. Uh, let's have a look at their logo. Okay, so the United Auto Workers is like a hands across America type logo where it's um, 
it's a sort of stylized representation of people standing, uh, holding hands, and it's a circular logo. So the people are standing, holding hands, and they form their arms form a circle. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the world, and it's kind of like the wheel of a car. And I am not tattooing this logo. Uh, no. On my, I'm not tattooing this logo on my body. All right, let's let's. Uh... It re- it reminds me. It reminds me, like strangely enough. Oh, I can't find it. Uh, of I think it was the the Helena. There was like there was a logo that came up after Sesame Street, and it was either the Helena Rubinstein Foundation or like public broadcasting or something that had like. But now I search for Helena Rubinstein Foundation, and all I find is makeup, which is just really sad. Um. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, but that's just uh, before we move on from this, the the idea that your body is part of a larger group, right? The sort of uh, material dialectic of the existence of your body within a class, right? And and within like a group of people uh, as sort of a macro organism almost, right? This idea that you would get a tattoo from like your your military unit or from like your your union or from like a group of other people to signify that like this body that you see before you is part of a larger expression, right? It's, it's almost, it's less like the badge or what have you is inscribed on you than it is sort of signifying an inscription that your action and body are making on like a further canvas yeah so I'm, i actually yeah. i'm gonna throw in my i'm gonna throw in my uh my lot actually in a slightly different way right like because i think we actually can disaggregate tattoos uh along this axis right like there are the there are the tattoos where they signify group membership and then there are the tattoos where they signify sort of individual individuality or or unique expression right mm-hmm. um right and so like uh I don't know. One of the one of the sort of like attracting tattoos and repelling tattoo. Not retracting and repelling, but like what individual and group. Go go ahead. Go ahead. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I I will just say. I mean, and again, not to be sentimental. One of the groups I'm proudest to be a part of is the the core of overthinking it writers and podcasters and uh, of overthinkers. So I guess I would probably go with you know Dave Schechner's Otis uh, logo. I'm not sure where I would put it, but. Uh, uh, but that that is a group um you know that i'm proud to be a member of and that that i i feel like i would be comfortable signaling my membership in in that group all the time uh rather than uh you know rather than only some of the time <laughs> via a t-shirt or a you know uh novelty trucker cap or something like that i think i would i would get on my right fist I would get the letters O V E R, and on my left fist, I would get the letters uh, T H I N, and then my pinky G uh, uh, K I N G I T, <laughs> right? Like just sort of trailing off, so that when people got punched, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But you would get an overthinking a tattoo, but if someone was holding a gun to your head. Yeah, I mean, if I had to get a tattoo, I mean, that's the that's the tattoo that would be least offensive to me, I suppose. Mm, I guess, but I mean, is there nothing that would bring like a net positive? So, when you say least offensive, are you're saying that it would be easiest to explain, easiest to contextualize, or like it would cause? Would it cause a net harm? I guess it would if you don't want to have a tattoo, right? Like just the violation of your choice would. Even if you got a tattoo that you wanted, being forced to get it at gunpoint would probably 
probably make it a net negative proposition just in terms of the compromise of your individual will. I guess right? so. Like, I mean, like, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult in framing this sort of question to, to do it in a morally neutral way, right? Like, that doesn't sort of poison well, the whole enterprise. By- let, let's, let's put the gun away. Let's okay. put the gun away. We'll step back and we'll say, and we'll say, you know what? We don't have to do anything based on this conversation, Matt. We don't, we're not compelled to do anything based on this conversation. We're just talking. We're just talking. What tattoo would you like? I'm just talking. Hey, we're just, <laughs> we're just talking here. You know? <laughs> I'm not, no one's going to force you to live up to what you say in this podcast. Certainly nobody has held me to anything that I've said in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah, I, no, I would like, uh, I would like an overthinking attack, oh. maybe, maybe, in, maybe OTI. I would like to, I would like to single my, uh, I would like to signal my membership in this, uh, in this wonderful group, mm. right? Rather than, uh, I don't know. Maybe we should, if, if you have an idea for an OTI tattoo design, maybe you can link to it, post it, like host it on an Imgur or something and, and link to it in the comments of this podcast or email to us at the podcast email so we can see. Because I'm not confident that the cloud in and of itself is a great tattoo design. It's an awesome Christmas ornament design. <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would want a tattoo that has like an, ind- I think of Otis's face and I think that Otis has like a personality. I think I envision Otis having an interiority that of course Otis does not have. Um, but the idea that Otis's sort of opinion of things would be present on my arm at all times or on my shoulder, uh, I don't know if I would be comfortable with that. But he's great hanging on the Christmas tree looking at you. Right. Like, I come to regard Otis. I don't necessarily feel like I am part of Otis. You know what I mean? Like, Otis is something that sort of has been been became self-aware, you know, in 1997 or 1999 or whenever it is that it happens. Um, Skynet and whatnot. Um, but, Yeah. Anyway, so we got we got tattoos. We're gonna have to take our shirt. We're gonna have to take our shirts off to show people our tattoos. Oh yeah, totally. Which I'm not. Uh, I'm not all that I, excited about. As your, you know, so we. So one thing we wanted to talk about a little bit on this podcast is that we just had a huge three day weekend with hot weather, so everyone's hitting the beach. Uh, except not a, yeah, not in LA in the South Bay. There, would, would you believe there was a shark attack in uh, Manhattan oh, Beach in really? you know, South Santa Monica Bay? Yeah. Uh, okay. But uh, uh, the swimmer who was who was bit by a, a shark, which I think I, I, they're saying it was a, a juvenile shark because it was not that big. Um, uh, the swimmer who was bit by the shark uh, was was okay, um, or at least was at the time that I read the uh, uh, was at the time that I read the uh, news report of it. But there were a lot of pissed off people standing on the beach because they closed off the uh, they closed off the beach. You couldn't go in the water until they had you know coaxed the shark out away from the shore. What kind uh, of shark was it? Did they find out? I think a great white shark. Oh, jeez. Uh, That's the scary kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. It's the it's the big kind, isn't it? So. Um, I mean, not the biggest kind. That's the whale shark, right? So, so well, I guess also, like, there, there are... Uh... This has become the official list of sharks podcast. <laughs> Mako shark, nurse shark, whale shark. Hammerhead shark. Hammerhead shark. Leopard shark. <laughs> uh, uh, what is it? Um, skater sharks? What are, are those? Are those the, oh, what are they called? The jawsome ones. 
Shark to puss. <laughs> Street sharks. Street sharks are awesome. Shark to puss and jabber jaws. Um, but I'm glad for once that uh, yeah. So you, did you were, did the shark attack? Was that sort of like an eleventh hour reprieve from having to show off your beach bod? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much of a, I don't have much of a beach bod right now. I you know, I mean, you know me. I have been at times. Uh, you know, very, very into fitness and exercising every day and, and, you know, feeling really good about my, uh, uh, feeling really good about my level of conditioning and, and stuff like that. And that is just, that is just not, uh, not now. I was, I was really like, I I wasn't working as much, (laughs) you know, when I was, uh, when I was feeling good about my, uh, feeling good about my level of conditioning, I, I wasn't, um, uh, I didn't have as much going on in life, uh, you know. I also, I mean, I've really, I've really sort of been slacking on the diet, which I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry to say, because I know that that, like, it's one of those things, right? Like where you know that it, it uh, only, uh, you're the only one who suffers, right? Like, um, you're the only one who, who really, uh, uh, you know feels the consequences and, and when you slack on the diet and like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if listeners are aware though. I know we've talked about it before. I've been an adherent of something called, uh, that, that, and, and, oh God, I, I really have come to hate this name. Um, mostly because it provides an opening for people to be, uh, for people to be dicks, but um, uh, something called the paleo diet, yes, uh, which is not an, a historical reenactment of <laughs> hunter gatherer lifestyles. It's it's terrible that it got branded as that. It shouldn't be branded as that because that's not what it is and not what it's about. It's a slightly different set of heuristics applied to the question of what we're going to eat. You know, and um, it's aimed at, uh, uh, you know, though it takes though it takes some inspiration from some anthropological blah, 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 blah. uh, uh, Really, it belongs to a a class of of diets, which are, you know, low carbohydrate, high fat diets uh, that there is a body of contemporary research to support and that you can, you know, I don't know, read up on if you're interested and please don't, please don't email me Yeah, and please don't uh, leave I mean, comments. I, I've been on, I've, I've done paleo. I've definitely done paleo. I even, I've done it recently, but I became really fed up by how inadequately it historically reenacts the experiences of hunter-gatherer societies. So I did recently switch to the, uh, the Valley Forge diet, uh-huh. which is a historical reenactment diet of General Washington's Continental Army wintering at Valley Forge. So I start with I get uh, I get a ration of hardtack. I get a ration of hardtack and I get to wash it down. So I get whiskey every three days. It's sort of a little watered down, but mostly it's shoe leather and hardtack, um, but not shoe composite. Some of the like some of the new school Valley Forge dieters say that it's okay to substitute modern shoe materials for the shoe leather. But I'm like a real purist, and I believe that because the original Valley Forge dieters only ate the shoe leather from their official army boots that were issued to them by the Continental Congress in 1776 Uh (laughs) that's that's what you should really be eating to minimize uh, inflammatory response and to get your hashtag gains um (laughs) 
there, there really is. There really has been, and just, just to sort of speak about kind of the narrativization, the narrativization of diet, right? Like, uh, oh, it's not diet; it's a lifestyle, whatever. Like the really important and critical, and we're like, we're kind of, I'm kind of poo-pooing it right now, just because it becomes so exhausting. But it's really very critical to your notion of food, how you narrativize, like what stories you tell yourself about how why you eat the food that you eat, right? As oh, it's my parents did it, and my you know my, my culture does it. I like to eat this kind, or this is what makes me feel a good way, or like even just the uh, the competing narrative stuff and all the stories associated with all the foods. And this is from Happy Hill Farms, where the chickens play backgammon, and like all this other stuff, right? Like all these narratives competing for your space, but like. It really does get exhausting to adjudicate, to constantly adjudicate the contested space for your own person, your body's own personal narratives, right? Like it's like if people treated tattoos the way that they treat diets, everyone would run around with a sharpie like all the time, right? And just be like scribbling over other people's tattoos because because this is a comparison we can draw, right? Like the things that you do with your body. Uh, in terms of like the culture of being on the beach, right? Because it's a pop culture website, and and I like how we sort of broaden, especially on our two handers. You know, we broaden our discussion of what exactly is pop culture to include things like the experience of Instagramming yourself, right? Which is a pop culture experience, or the experience of of losing your keys, or the experience of checking your privilege, right? Yeah, yeah, indeed, exactly. Which is right by the way, right where you left your keys. Um, it's like <laughs> dollar to the lady, and you get it all back. But um, but just this idea that you know you can you can express you use your body as a means of expression and your body as a personal means of expression is in a similar sort of you know networkish relationship in networkish meaning the movie the movie network where there are the sort of vast powerful notions of physical expression that are you know industrial in nature or post-industrial and ginormous and collectivized and and have all this like you know institutional might behind them and and they have bodies that they put out there to express certain things and you know these are these bodies are either you know two-dimensional projections of three-dimensional objects or three-dimensional objects in motion that are engaged with and perceived in various ways but you have your own as well right you have you have your yes you watch Naruto but you also have your Naruto fan fiction yes like you watch the TV and you see who has the beach bods on the Us Weekly or whatnot, but you have your own beach bod, and we all have beach bods, right? Whether we're at the beach or not because of the sharks or because we are deathly pale and are going to be just annihilated by ultraviolet radiation if we take our shirts off or anything like that. Um, any of those things might be the case, right? But uh, but just this, yeah, this idea that like, um, but, but your, the body, your own body as, a, as an expressive tool uh, in terms of its its shape and health, is a matter of public mediation. Um, in a, in a way that I guess I don't know. Again, I don't have a tattoo. Maybe people who have tattoos, other people kind of like throw shade at their tattoos all the time, or like maybe other people kind of suggest alterations to their tattoos. But one of the advantages a tattoo has in terms of a physical expression, right? Not the body being inscribed with something, but the body one with the poetry. Uh, how, how did you describe it? How did Hollander describe it again? Uh, it, it the poem is rather than is uh, inscribed upon. Yeah, so the the body is rather than is inscribed upon, I guess, right? Like um, this message, this expression of yourself, right? Um, 
this this idea that by uh, the advantage a tattoo would have is that you know you put it down there and it costs a fair amount of money to do it and it sticks around for a long time and it's difficult to change. So somebody else may want to change it. Somebody else may want to mediate your experience of it. Someone else may see you acting in a certain way and either out of genuine concern for you or or you know kind of fear of change or some other sorts of emotions like lash out at you and say like you shouldn't have that tattoo. What about when you get older? What's it going to do? Right? Like um, I guess people do experience that kind of uh, attempts at mediation of, of that kind of self-expression. But what we do to each other with our bodies is, is enormous relative to what we do to, uh, to my perception of how people uh, deal with, uh, you know, even, even like, I guess clothes are also heavily mediated. But it is interesting to consider, to consider your body as, you know, as is rather than is as inscribed upon. Um, as as its own kind of little micro poem or macro poem or or poetic unit or or you know pop culture unit like well, right. I mean, your body is a pop in the culture right? <laughs> like um, that that like yeah I mean it's it's I feel like as as men we don't have it as bad as the the women do right like b- getting sort of conscripted into various narrativizations right because the the problem the 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 narrativization itself is not not a problem as long as you're sort of exercising some agency in terms of like the various kinds of narrativizations that you want to participate in right but when when you get conscripted into uh, other people's narrativizations when you get sort of dragooned into um, stories that other people would like your body to be a tool in, in the telling of, um, then you're, you know, that's, that's when you, uh, you know, that's when you get into trouble. And I'm just talking here about sort of discursive space and not, not physical, physical space at all. But like you, you, any, anyone can experience it if you start a diet, right? Uh, like say the paleo diet and tell literally anyone about it because they're going to tell you why you're stupid and wrong for doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you know, and I've been, I've been, um, confronted with like, I've been confronted with, uh, like severely deconditioned peers of mine, right? (laughs) Like telling me what a, what an idiot I am, uh, you know, for, um, for I don't know what buying into the hype or something like that, and you know I don't know I try I try to be polite or I'm often sort of taken aback by some of the by some of the like strong affect that people have about it right the the vitriol that they can that they can spew at you but but you know I don't know you you've been you've been in in uh, like me you've sort of been in and out of good condition in in your time right like don't you just want to look at someone and say you know what let's do push-ups until one of us dies and whoever <laughs> whoever is still alive gets to lecture the other one about diet no i mean i could say that but at the same time you know as uh i think i believe it was in teenage mutant ninja Turtles 2 the secret of the use when they said a ninja only chooses fights that it knows it can win <laughs> i guess, but, uh, I guess so know. maybe you haven't seen some of my friends who give me poop about uh who give me uh, oh no I, I get all sorts of poop all the time because i do crossfit so i get poop all the time for yeah. that stuff and I mean, and of course, the, inter- the internet is a powerful. Uh, <laughs> the internet is a series of poop tubes right? that funnel poop in various places. But I mean, we've talked about that before. How there's a lot of acrimony, and and it, it is there is. It would be interesting to find kind of a technology of of discourse or a technology of power that would empower us or, or give us a tool, because because there is a a way in which there are. 
I mean, I, I almost want to use the word efficiencies, right? There are things that we want to do, that people want to do, that would be beneficial to people, uh, efficient to people. But there is a terrible there, – there, whether you think the, uh, any of the given diets, right, any of the given diets specifically are good or bad, or even any of the given anything are, are good or bad, there is a – a terrible we're, we're treating our, our we have a cultural transmission i want to talk about like the sort of the cultural transmission right where it's like you kind of you you sort of rev up the engine you get excited to do something and and you can either start sort of like you get that that needle going up towards the red line right and you want to like shift up into the next gear and then it's just like boom smackdown right like downshift break Right, like it's like, and okay, we got to rev up again, downshift break. Right, we spend a lot of time and energy in the popular culture, as the popular cultural. Inter- I mean, this is the same thing. We we just we were talking about Doctor Who, right? The same. We were talking about the same the same stuff that we're talking about. People, you know, giving us problems because of our our impre- imprecise pluralization of Doctor Who time travel devices. Yeah. Right, it's like the same kind of phenomenon as people would say, like, oh, I'm trying to start this new thing, this new diet, this new exercise plan. Trying to get a beach bod so I can express myself the way that Taylor Lautner expressed himself three years ago. If that, because he doesn't do that, and that's not a current reference anymore, unfortunately. Um, but even, you know, so Team Jacob uh, got kicked out of the Premier League. That happens, right? That <laughs> 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 if a team like underperforms, they get kicked out of the Premier League. Yep. They don't get to play in the Premier League. So Taylor Lautner's team, Team Jacob, is, is not doing so good. But yeah, but, um, but yeah, just like we waste a lot of energy getting excited about things and then getting rapid de-excited about things. Um, and you get the sense that if there were a technology of discourse or a technology of power that allowed us or empowered us to follow through on things, on, on explorations and reinforce the following through of explorations for at least a little while before we just totally put the kibosh on them and like negatively condition people for pursuing them, I feel like it would be beneficial. Um, and I mean, when I talk about technologies, I'm using technology in the way that, like, um, uh, that, like, <laughs> that, that I learned the way I learned to use it this way from reading about Magic: The Gathering design, right? From like Mark Rosewater and Aaron Forsyth and development, all those people, where they talk about the technology of the rules of Magic: The Gathering, where we're not talking about like, you know silicon chips or we're not talking about like processing capability we're not talking about anything hardware related you know what we're talking about is like devising new ways of writing the rules such that it empowers us to do new things right and that's a technology and so we have technologies of power right and like um uh you know like uh the idea of your lifestyle choice is a disease is a technology of power and that's Foucault, right and all that stuff Right. And the, right. Sure. And the, the uh, right technologies of, of thought, technologies of, of discourse, right? Like ways of sort of organizing and engaging with ways of providing interfaces to the sort of elements in our uh, the sort of day to day um elements in our life and that's that's one of the reasons why i like doing these two-handers because i think that like you know i don't know the 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 you're thinking about your life your life doesn't stop when you exit the movie theater right like your yeah. life doesn't stop when you switch off netflix um the, there are uh but i you know i don't know it's it's interesting like in in designating ourselves a, a popular cultural website we sort of commit to certain technologies or certain constraints on on uh, thought but what you mean what you mean is like you would like a way of talking you would like a way of you would like a uh, you would like a means of engaging in a discourse uh, where you could you know i don't know explore some ideas or share some experience where 
um, you could talk about the phenomena as such uh, without necessarily getting engaged in either a, a political conversation or – I mean that is to say a conversation that has to do with um, – uh, relations of power, uh, or in a in a conversation that has to do with, um, you know, uh, validating different choices than than yours, right? Yeah. Like, in in into a sort of non normative. Um, a non-normative conversation where you could make certain kinds of tentative positive claims or where you could test out certain kinds of tentative positive claims in, in the crucible of debate, uh, without, um, you know, I don't know, without someone taking it as an affront to, to them. Right. I mean, I think what you're, as you're saying it, I'm just thinking, Oh, this is what, uh, this is comedy. This is what comedy does, or like improv comedy, right? It's like, oh, like that. This is one of the things that the arts, like participating in the art space, does. But particularly, like, oh, you know, the fool is able to talk in these ways, right? The the clown is able to speak truth to power, uh, and and you know the the various backlashes, you know, they they hit a little less hard when you're wearing the big shoes. Um, Right, you know, like that's is that sort that's sort of like a way of I guess that's the sort of John Stewart Stephen Colbert way of advancing the discussion is to is to be is to play the fool, right, and be the comic and not be serious and thus as such be somewhat less threatening and thus be somewhat though you are still very much a target. Uh, there's a technology there that allows you to be kind of like allows you to 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 go at it for a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, so, isn't, it, isn't it Gandhi who said, "Be the joke you'd like to see in the world." <laughs> Well, well, here's the question then, because we've been talking about bodies this episode, right? And we're talking about, like, tattoos, and we're talking about shape. And, like, how can you make your body shape into a joke so that people will uh, ease off on you? Like, what's the joke diet? What's the diet you can do where the first reaction someone would have at it is to laugh at it, but that would also sort of disarm their ability to immediately, like, throw heavy shade in your direction, or at least in a way that hurts your feelings, right? Like, like, um, uh, or, like, what could you do? I mean, I guess, like, what? Like, um... So to an to like the sort of debasements that people do, I'm thinking about adventure racing, right? And I'm thinking about like crawling through mud and jumping over stuff, through jumping over fire, and like also like wearing neon at workout outfits. Oh, man, I would love to. I would love to talk for an hour about adventure racing because I don't do it, but I'm I'm so interested in it, and I think it's such a, a fascinating and rich uh, cultural phenomenon. There oh, should yeah. be we should have a venue on overthinking it for talking about that. Would you, Would you be interested, audience? I put the question to you. Would you be interested in uh, uh, in a, I don't know if it's a separate show or a series or something like that, where we talked about things like this, things like adventure racing and, you know, I don't know what physical culture and, and I went mountain climbing this weekend or I climbed a mountain. I hiked it. That was exciting. I'm, I'm curious. Wait, stick a pin in that. Cause I want to ask you about this mountain that you climbed because <laughs> that is an extraordinary thing just to say out of the blue. Like I climbed a mountain. I mean, you know, um, I mean, you're one mountain closer to climbing every mountain, <laughs> 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 but let's uh but wait, wait wait let's let's uh go back to this i mean like what is the what is the joke i mean what is the joke diet i think it's i mean the the one that i that i know is to sort of subvert uh is to subvert people's expectations of what a diet is, right? Like the joke diet would be, oh yeah, it's 100% ice cream or something like that, right? right or like right. uh or 
I don't know. I'm I uh wasn't there someone in the news who like I and I'm I'm God, I'm afraid that this is going to turn out not to have been a joke, but wasn't there someone in the news recently who said that they were a breatharian, <laughs> you know, who <laughs> who like just lived on the nutrients found in in uh breathing air. Um like that, that strikes me as a joke, uh, you know, as a, as a joke diet designed to sort of disarm and, uh, uh, disarm and make comfortable whoever your interlocutor is. I, you know what it is? I want to carry around a big red button so that whenever I'm eating, anybody can push it. And what it does is it signifies disapproval of the thing I'm eating, either its quantity or its nature. And it just goes, bum, bum, ba or it has like a series of uh of different sorts of failure noises from various media either prices right or video games so yeah so it's just like just like a big red failure button that anybody could push at any time to say like oh you're not eating right you failed it's a failure diet just surround yourself with failure and then the pounds will just fail off well that's you know i don't know when i when i uh I mean, I don't know. Just here, here's a pro tip, right? Yeah. Pro for- tip. <laughs> Hold on. We got to get the pro tip graphic. I'm holding it up. All right. Say it again. <laughs> pro tip. Yeah. Um, uh, for anyone embarking on a, uh, on a, a diet. God, I mean, and I can tell, like, I, I changed the way I eat pretty, ra- I ate pretty radically uh, with, with the paleo diet. And, um, though I haven't been as strict about it recently, a lot of these kind of large scale changes, um, have stuck. Here's a pro tip for, for any program of self-improvement, which is that you have to, and actually I wrote, uh, I wrote when you, when you, uh, I'm looking it up on the internet. When you, um, started the paleo diet, uh, you, uh, Pete, I wrote up a, a bit of advice, uh, yep. for you. Uh, and I've done it periodically and it's worked great. It's just that I've, I haven't sustained it at any, at any particular time, but yeah. Uh, I wrote up a, an article, I guess it was a Facebook post originally, but I, I posted it on my Tumblr, which, uh, we'll put a link to in the show notes. It's called rather thoughtful. Uh, and, um, the article was called how I stay paleo. And one of my, my, um, pieces of advice and this is i mean there is you know r-rated language in it but it's it, number two is plan to f up right yeah. like that is to say if you make 100 percent compliance the condition of your um 100 compliance uh thinking about it is is your enemy right because a lot of people will will actually not embark on a on a course of self-improvement because they uh don't believe that they can do it perfectly um and so they won't make they won't make any improvement because they don't think they can make all the improvements mm-hmm. uh and also um a lot of people will fall off the wagon uh and this has happened to me with with a diet or a program of exercise or a program of self improvement um if they you know if they slip a little bit right if they don't meet their their gym commitment one day right suddenly they'll never go to the gym again right so so having a plan uh to f up right having a plan to deal with um, days when you fail to comply, right. Or, or, you know, I don't know, fail to fail to meet your goal so that, um, so that that, uh, is just a kind of minor setback and not a huge, 
um, huge kind of inner trauma that that puts you off the uh, uh, puts you off the plan, uh, whatever sort of self improvement you're planning, right? Like um, having a, having a an expectation that you will mess up and that. Uh, uh, having a sort of mental path, a sort of um, a vision for how you kind of get back on the horse, just to mix a lot of metaphors, uh, is is important. I think for any yeah. for any plan of of self improvement. Yeah, and I think that this the, the that aspect, that sort of permission to fail, the pop culture right now. Um, I mean, we we've we our our episode about Tom Cruise. Right, it interacts with this. The one that we recorded was that just last week, uh, or was that two weeks ago? The Tom Cruise des- deserves a win episode. Um, that was uh, no, no. Brunchcast was last week, of course. Jesus. Yeah. And then two weeks ago was Tom Cruise deserves a win, and just this idea of trying to extend a sense of, of forgiveness, right? Uh, 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 having a, a culture that has in it a sense of forgiveness, because, um, and I don't want to say it's like the gotcha media, because that's just like. I feel like that's like I want to be able to get away with everything and I don't want to be held accountable for anything that I do or say. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the experience of, of an individual person as opposed to the judgment of the value of a particular individual act as it might be extended. That, that is tricky. It is tricky because um, the acts of individuals – as they're represented in the culture, like, say, Jack Bauer, right? Jack Bauer's actions in 24, they're not just about Jack Bauer. They're also kind of associated with a whole bunch of other actions that happen through institutions or collectively, right, that we all support in various ways or or run against through various direct or indirect things that we do, maybe even subconsciously, right? Like the kind of paper towels that I buy might affect whether someone has the ability to, to Jack Bauer someone else in a closet halfway around the world, right? And that's like something that you have to be aware of. And we've talked about that in the podcast before about like sort of uh, tolerance for those sorts of things. But as on the show 24, the character of Jack Bauer also has his own individual hardships and relationships with the other people that he deals with. And right, and those things don't operate under the same sort of mechanics uh, as, as the individual actions, the sort of grand theatrical gestures, right, that, uh, that have this national and international and global importance, you know, or do they? Right? Do is there a sort of act of small kindness as represented by an individual in a pop culture uh, representation that we can then also adopt? Right? Like, it's just it's it feels like an open area to me. It feels like an area where there isn't a lot that's being talked about in a lot of the blogosphere or whatnot in a way that I that feels adult and that I believe. Right? That feels credible. Right? This idea of you know either. I don't know, because as soon as I use words like gentleness or self-forgiveness, it seems like garbage, right? It seems like not serious. Um, it seems like hippy-dippy nonsense. Um, but, it is, but it's like, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's sort of the experience of you can't – if you react – if you succumb to the first bad thing that happens to you or the first failure or inadequacy that shows up, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. This is not the way life works, right? But at the same time, you know – protagonists are supposed to be perfect and everybody's supposed to be good and if somebody does a bad thing they're an unlikable character and if they do a bad thing and they're not unlikable then they're deliberately problematic in kind of a dramatic way right like um where's the right, healthy it's relationship like we watch we watch breaking bad and we watch the shield and we watch you're right like yeah and there's i mean right we have a technology it's so gritty right exactly we've developed yeah. a, a technology of criticism and thought for for um you know for dealing with uh I don't know, dealing with, with so many of these, so many of these things. And, you know, I don't know, it's, it's funny, right? Like, uh, 
<laughs> it's funny being a, being a person who who went through acting training, right? Because when you when you play a lot of characters, especially when you do it in a in a short space, as you do in in um, in grad school and drama school, uh, undergrad or grad, or you know non uh, university affiliated. Um, you 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 tend to work at a higher uh tempo right at a higher sort of volume of work than you than you ever do in your career because you spend most of your time in your career actually looking for work um you you realize when you play a lot of characters in in uh close succession that like they're all trying to get by right like mm. they're all people with a they're all people with a job right who don't conceive of themselves as particularly good or particularly bad they're just all uh as you do every day like looking at a pile of poop and trying to get to the other side of it or like yeah. trying to you know uh, you know what i mean trying to to dig enough into the pile that they they make the dent that they uh that they have to make that they have to make for the day um i don't know i think one of the reasons why it 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 feels hippy dippy, right? Is that that you don't when when you when you behave your, with some you know uh, gentleness or, or self forgiveness. We need we need a better word. We need a better yeah. language technology for talking about yeah. it, right? Like um, by which I mean vocabulary. But when when you do that, you're you're not um, you're not abandoning your capacity to be discerning, right? You're not uh, abandoning your standards. Um, but what you are saying is that like that, uh, <laughs> that, um, uh, progress, uh, right. Is, is sort of more progress towards your goal is more important than, mm. uh, than, you know, absolute perfection at, at any, at any one moment, right. Like that, that, um, uh, you know, I don't know. I think that there's a there's a certain amount of realism. I mean, there's a certain amount of, um, I guess I would call it acceptance, right? I would call mm. it acceptance at a deep level of sort of your constraints and limitations uh, as a person, as an embodied person, as an embodied person living in time and space, right? Uh, bound di- bound by circumstance and bound by certain sort of discursive limits, um, and you know, uh, and not a sort of completely free agent who can do. Uh, whatever he or she would like all the time. Yeah. Um, like S- sit- sitcoms are like this. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just wanted to put in there. Go, go on, go on. I interrupted. <laughs> that uh, um, that you uh, you know that you sort of accept that you accept at a at a fundamental level um, uh, what your limitations are, right? Mm-hmm. Because th- there's a certain uh, the flip side of the the flip side of the the um, beating up on yourself for not being perfect or, or sort of, I don't know, beating up on someone else for not being perfect, uh, is, is a certain amount of grandiosity, right? Is a certain kind of inflated expectation or an inflated idea of yourself as though perfection is the standard that, that you ought to be held to, right? As though you were sort of Superman. And I'd, I'd argue that sort of implied, implied in that sort of perfectionism is a, a, a certain, you know, uh, a certain kind of immature, uh, grandiosity that is ultimately not helpful, right? That is ultimately like not productive to, um, to getting, to getting anything done. Right. And I would far rather be effective than right. 
That sounds like a Jack Bauer word. If I <laughs> right. Like there are things that I want to accomplish in my life. And like I, I would far rather make progress on those than conform to some sort of abstract uh, notion of of per- perfection, whether my own or, or someone else's. Right. Yeah. Whether socially imposed or or. Uh, individually imposed, which is which is why I say, you know, um, you know, I don't know when you eat a burger or something like that, when you pig out on a on a bunch of chili cheese fries or something like that, doesn't mean all bets are off. It means you know, tomorrow you wake up, right, deal with the the headache from the the carb hangover, and uh, and don't do it, don't do it tomorrow, right? You, yeah, that you just described an episode of Louie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, it's funny because the more that I, we I talk about the kind of uh, or we talk about the more I hear about you talking, and the more I talk about myself, these kinds of anxieties that are associated with the body and it's. It's mutability, permanence, and the way that it feels like something that we ought to possess our, ourselves, but is also like heavily mediated. Like the more it seems like comedy is the way to go <laughs> in terms of understanding it, right? Because I know, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love a lot of the stuff we're holding up as as not the way to go. I love that other stuff, but it's for other reasons, <laughs> right? Like it's there are moments where I, I love I love the Jack Bauer approach, but even Jack Bauer has his moments of vulnerability. But at any rate. Uh, I came here to not to bury Jack Bauer, but to praise him. But uh, but at any rate, uh, it does seem like the better situation comedies, the better moments in situation comedies are situations where, okay, this person is in a situation. This is the life that they live. These are the things that they're trying to do. These are the obstacles that are thrown in their way. And then these are both the things that – not just the things that they do to overcome the obstacles, but also like the ways that they feel when they're confronted with the obstacles and the way that the people around them feel also when they're confronted with the obstacles. And that's part of the story, right? Part of it is sort of like watching Frasier struggle, like, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, no, I don't know whether to sleep with this terrible psychologist, right, who wrote this terrible book, and she wants me to write the foreword, and I want to sleep with her, right? Like Shannon Tweed episode of Frasier jumps to mind, where it's like, yes, like, he has, makes a bunch of terrible decisions, and he has a bunch of things, but nobody's like, is Frasier likable? Because he made a bunch of bad decisions. <laughs> it's like nobody's like, yeah, but but are any of the friends really good? I mean, people do say that about Seinfeld, where it's like they're just terrible people by the end of it, right? But I mean, no, I don't. I mean, let me ask you. I, I'm skeptical. Maybe I'm the only person. Maybe I'm strange in this way. But like, whereas I definitely feel that Curb Your Enthusiasm really brings out that idea. I never really felt while watching Seinfeld that the people in Seinfeld were really all that. Terrible people, um, the way that it was harped on near the end of the show. I mean, no, what, what they are. I mean, what they are is self-involved, right? They're they're sort of indifferent to yeah, the. But I'm involved of- in them too. I'm watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> be self-involved if I get to be involved also. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I know what you mean. They are self-involved people, but it's at the same time. Is it any? Is it any less narcissistic? Is any more? Is any less narcissistic to be like just as involved in the raising of your own fictional kids if they exist in an identity unit with yourself? Right? Like, is 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 Ray Romano's character and Everybody Loves Raymond every any less self-involved because of his sort of you know fatherly role? Right? Um, I don't know. That, that's my own sort of thing. Is like, are are comedy are comedy characters who don't have children necessarily more selfish 
um, because we perceive having children as being kind of like, or we, we perceive characters that exist kind of in pieces as being unselfish characters. Because there's like an assu- assumed degree of care that must be happening to this child on some level, even though nobody's actually doing it on the show, right? It's like, well, the child's still alive, so Ray Romano must be competently parenting it on some level, right? right? Like, um, so so they're like t- Tim the Toolman Taylor hasn't chopped his children's hands off, so clearly he's not that bad, right? Like, um. Um, he, there must be a lot of stuff happening off camera where he's a good father. Uh, yeah, right. Well, that's. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, that's interesting, right? Like, I'm. I'm. I. I forget the, the. The. I'm led to pivot pretty much 180 from Tim the Toolman Taylor and, and Ray Romano to a uh, to a great spiritual leader, uh, and I forget Wilson, I for- from across <laughs> the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a couple of tapings of um, of Tool Time. Uh, when, oh. um, of tool of, time? no, no, not of oh. tool time of, of, uh, home improvement when I was in, um, uh, high school because, uh, a friend of mine's father was, uh, involved in producing the show and, uh, and the the actors, I mean, it's funny the way they did it. It was very theatrical. Like filming a three camera comedy is really like putting on a play. They do they did the thing more or less in sequence on a set that was in front of you, right? And they had like, and it was right it was right there in front of you, the living room, the uh, tool time set, and then there was usually a third set for the for the sitcom off off to the other side. And the whole thing was was. Uh, um, you know, done their done their live in the studio a few takes, uh, a few takes at most, and um, and there was this thing of like the actor hyping up the crowd. The actors would come out one at a time and bow and like wave to the audience, and they would be there would be like a hype man whose job it was to like keep you excited uh, during the downtime between filming scenes. And you know, Tim Allen would come and JTT would come out and and <laughs> bow, and the girls would scream and the, you know all this stuff. And then the actor who played Wilson uh, would come out. He had a uh, a, a a tiny, like, um, Hannibal Lecter mask, yeah. <laughs> sort of, or like a, a mask that he held up uh, in front of his face, but it was a little fence. It yeah, was a little, yeah, yeah. A little picket fence, because you only ever saw him behind the fence, so even in the, uh, even in the, uh, even in the studio, outside of uh, the taping of the show, he would hold a, he would hold in front of his, uh, in front of his, um, face a little uh, a little fence uh thing so that you could you could only see the the top half of his face no how but- much of a better reaction to a phantom of the opera scenario is that <laughs> than the one that the guy actually did in the story i mean come on <laughs> listen to my advice of the nice <laughs> listen to this music of the night tim, tim the tool man taylor <laughs> <laughs> right exactly. patience patience your child is just a teenager no, we're, we're gonna. We're not gonna do home. What is it? Uh, uh, the Tool Man of the Opera. We're gonna. We're gonna do that. That uh, the Home Improvement Musical. I'm sure it's already being worked. <laughs> Silently, the parents suggest you eat your carrots. <laughs> Tim, get away from the chandelier. No, I'm going to give it more power. <laughs> no! Da, 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 da. No, I, I'm reminded of, and I forget what spiritual guru is supposed to have said that this, and apropos of what, but like, uh, um, you, you will not complete the great work, uh, but you are not free to desist from it either. And I feel like that's, that's a good, um, that's a good slogan for sitcoms, right? Like you're never going to like solve the, the intractable problem at the heart of the sitcom. Uh, but next week there will be another episode. 
Right, um, right, right. And, and next week, there will be another episode of the Overthinking It podcast, whether or not we solve a damn thing on, on this one. Uh, so if you'd like to uh, talk about... Um, you know, tattoos, if you'd like to suggest tattoos that we all get, uh, if you'd like to tell us why we're, we're full of poop for not, uh, why our tattoo discourse is, is somehow lackluster. Uh, if you'd like to talk about physical culture, um, please don't write in about the paleo diet. Really like, <laughs> we don't care. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> we do, I really about that particular thing. Like, like honestly, I never say that about anything, but for this one thing, I don't care what you have to say. I really, yeah, I really, really don't. Uh, and, um, and I'm also like, I don't know. I'm very particular about who I let tell me I'm doing a bad job. Uh, so, so if you have a lot of negative feedback, you're really welcome. I, I'm less to particular, so you can you can you can lay into me, and I'll, and I'll because you can take um, it. If you'd like to talk about a hypothetical uh, a hypothetical venue for talking about these kinds of issues on overthinking it, and whether you would be into uh, into something like that, and and what you'd like to see covered on that, uh, if you'd like to uh, talk about sitcoms and uh, whether or not Fraser should sleep with this psychologist, uh, <laughs> you can. Uh, Leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. You can email the email that no one ever emails, which is podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can call the phone number that no one ever calls, which is 203-285-6401. 203-285-6401. Call or text. Uh, we'll be back with more Overthinking It next week. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. Quick shout out, Matt, as we're going out. Quick yeah, shout out. Please. Quick shout out to my cousin Gabby, who just got married this weekend, which is awesome, out in Wisconsin. And I just want to assure I couldn't go. I sadly could not go out to Wisconsin. I've had too much traveling lately. I couldn't afford the trip. Uh, I just, it was just one trip too many in a very busy summer, and I felt terrible about it. Uh, and I just want to assure everyone that despite any theater of success you might see on Facebook or any things that I might appear to be doing, I assure you they are not expensive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So please like I am I am cutting corners. I climbed a mountain. Yes. It was five dollars. Right. So like please, I'm not skipping my cousin's wedding to do all this fantastical stuff. I've already got a little guff for that. I apologize. But it's I just want to say uh happy wedding to Gabby and please don't shame me uh for assuming that I am rolling on dubs when I am in fact merely rolling on twelves or thirteens.